In your wanderings, you stumble upon a ruined temple buried deep within the heart of the forest. Wary, you continue on through thick overgrowth until you see a clearing that was once an ancient cathedral built by people, now rebuilt by nature itself. In the center is a preserved altar, stacked with various dice of all shapes and colors. As you contemplate what this means, a cloaked figure approaches from the shadows. Welcome, brave adventurer. Have you come to roll the dice? Explore strange new worlds with new strange rules? If you seek adventure worthy of being shared with good friends, you have come to the right place. Just roll for initiative. Welcome to the Nat One Nerds Podcast. How's it going? It's going pretty good. How about you guys? We're glad to see you back for our next episode of Nat One Nerds Podcast. Mm-hmm. And we're starting our second episode in our Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition miniseries here, and that is character creation. So we're gonna teach you guys all about how to make a character and what goes into it, because it gets a lot more complicated than people think. Absolutely. But we'll start pretty basic. We'll build a, a first level character. What every person starts off with. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you guys won't have the experience that I had where um you don't know how modifiers and everything work with your first character, so you kind of just don't have the best experience. But that's why this podcast exists, though. Exactly. So that people don't have that experience. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where would be a good place to start if we wanted to create a character? Well, I think the first place that we need to start is working on a race. Because Dungeons & Dragons has multiple different races. We got our classics. Elves. Dwarves, humans, half-elves. Or you can you know, get spicy and do like tieflings or dragonborn or uh, there's there's an auto-gnome now they have with Spelljammer. Like, they get really spicy with some of these races. Warforged. Warforged. Oh, Warforged are fun. I love my Warforged character. Parker hates it. Yeah, if you want to be literally just a robot in D&D, you are a Warforged. Mm-hmm. I mentioned him before my... Warforged Artificer. He had, I think, an AC of 23 at level 2. Mm-hmm. It was pretty fun. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was something. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think our listeners uh, kind of chimed in a little bit, and they kind of helped us pick the race we're going to go with. And We do appreciate you guys' feedback. We got a little bit. We'd hope we could get a little bit more in future episodes, but... It was nice to have people actually paying attention and giving us some feedback. Yeah, I had a lot of fun just posting about it, honestly. Yeah. Granted, we kind of got a lot of our votes from our wives. So, but between our wives with such small numbers, they kind of were able to be the swing votes. And we ended up going with a tiefling. Yeah, the I know the options were dragonborn, tiefling, gnome, and halfling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those were those were the options we put out there. They're all from the player's handbook, so the basic book that every person should get, honestly. It's a, it's a good spread. It's a, it's a good spread. Yeah, we had some people vote for Dragonborn. We even had a gnome vote. The breaking tie ended up being our wives and they were for Tiefling. <laughs> <laughs> so um in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, what difference does a race really make? Like does it matter which one you pick? When you're building your first character in my opinion, no. Just do the one that looks cool, honestly. Yeah. I mean, there 
there's a lot of different rule sets depending on what races do, and they've actually been instituting a lot of changes lately. But as of how it stands right now with 5th edition races, each one has their own specific bonuses that go towards stats from that race. But they have also released rules in the book Tasha's Cauldron of Everything for kind of more flexible origins where you can fudge those around a little bit. Yeah, so it's essentially it's becoming more and more of a flavor thing rather than an actual mechanic thing. Although mechanics still play a small role in that. So that's why, especially for your first character, just look through. Mm-hmm. Look through the player's handbook, You know, look in other books, talk to your dungeon master, um, look online even. Yeah, And just see what, what works. I honestly really like the more flexible origins that they've introduced with their newer material. Because it means that if you want to be an effective magic user, you're not locked into something like a gnome that has innate intelligence bonuses. You can be a wizard orc if you want. You don't yeah. have to be a brain-dead smashy smash orc. You can be a smart one. Mm-hmm. So, um, race... Depending on the rule set you're playing with can make a big difference, but a lot of it is flavor. And there's a lot of cool races in Dungeons & Dragons. Personally, I've played... Osmars are one of my favorite. Uh, They are kind of like a half-angel, half-human type of being where they have celestial influences. I've played Warforged, which are magically infused constructs that have like sentient thought and stuff like that. Um, I like playing Dragonborns. They're one of my favorites. I don't know. What kind of races do you like playing? I really like Tiefling, honestly. (laughs) So I'm pretty happy with this choice. (laughs) Um, I've always... I don't think I've ever actually played a Tiefling because I feel like people will judge me for trying to be too edgy if I make a Tiefling. By the way, for those of you who don't know, a Tiefling is someone who has... It's like the opposite of an Osimar. It's someone who has um, like... Is it devils or demons it's devils so i can read the i can read the description here so this is from the player's handbook page 42 on the tiefling tieflings are derived from human bloodlines and in the broadest sense possible they still look human however their infernal heritage has left a clear imprint on their appearance tieflings have large horns that take any of a variety of shapes some have curling horns like a ram others have straight and tall horns like a gazelle's and some spiral upward like an antelope's horns they have thick tails, four to five feet long, which lash or coil around their legs when they get upset or nervous. They have canine teeth, and their eyes are solid colors, black, red, white, silver, or gold, with no pupil. Their skin tones cover a full range of human colorization, but also include various shades of red. And as uh, Brandon was saying, tieflings look like this because either they or somebody in their ancestry made a pact with one of the big devils, one of the overlords of the Nine Hells. Yeah, tieflings tend to be, like I said, on the edgier side because it's dealing with devils and stuff like that. They have innate things that would appeal to those planes, such as they usually get things like dark vision. Um, I think in the player's handbook they have resistance to fire damage, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yep, you have resistance to fire damage. So, but that makes sense though that they're edgy because people in the lore of D and D oh people hate tieflings they either hate them, mistrust them, or suspicious of them because their hellish heritage, whether they chose that or not, is part of their physical body. Like they can't hide it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to hide a what was it? 
four to five feet long tail. And horns. And horns, yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely people, and obviously you can play a tiefling however you want to do. But in the lore, they are kind of just generally edgy, mostly because of how most societies in different D&D settings treat them. It's kind of like how you've talked in the past few episodes about the drow. They're kind of like the look down on people just assume mm-hmm. they're evil right off the bat race. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite when, unfortunate. In reality, you can be as good or as bad of a tiefling as you want. Same thing with the drow. So, in the, in the player's handbook, um, as you're building a tiefling, they list off some traits right off the bat. Actually, should we introduce what we have named our tiefling? <laughs> sure, we can go for it. You want to explain the, where we came up with the name? I kind of want to see if people can figure out where the name came from. Okay. Send us a message or comment on one of our posts where this name comes from. And keep in mind, just as a hint, Parker is an English major. So the car- our, our tiefling is named Terran Shadewalker. It's a nice edgy tiefling name. <laughs> it is. I, I kind of like it. I mean, they list some names to consider. There's some hellish or infernal type names. But some tieflings try to go against that heritage and they purposely take on virtue names. Mm-hmm. Like creed, excellence, glory, hope, uh, random, reverence, sorrow, poetry. Like they take on these virtuous names to try to like Help their hellish yeah, nature. Kind of offset to prove to people that just because I look like this and because of what my ancestor did doesn't mean I'm like that. I can still yeah. be a good person. Which goes to show that despite where you come from, you can you can be whatever person you set your mind to be. So with picking a tiefling, how does that affect how this character actually plays out? Yeah. So there's definitely some racial what's referred to as racial traits this is where the the mechanics aspect of the race comes in um but before we jump into that shall we introduce the class that people have voted for sure so in our other poll for which class we should do we didn't have as much feedback as we did on the races but thanks to my good friend spencer we were able to figure out that we're going to be playing a sorcerer which will be kind of fun because neither of us have actually played a sorcerer before in any of our campaigns. I did once, but it was a campaign that lasted, I think, like five, six sessions. Uh, and so I didn't, yeah. I I think we leveled up once. And so we, <laughs> I, I didn't get a whole chance to really dive into the sorcerer. I had a lot of fun with him. He was actually a, um, he was an alcoholic sorcerer. Oh, lovely. So he would spout off magic when he got drunk. And he showed up to the final boss fight drunk. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> he was of little help. He was also really annoying. But it was honestly <laughs> kind of fun. <laughs> I mean, as long as everyone at the table is able to have fun. I- I've never been a big fan of when one player just constantly screws everyone else over just to have fun with it. It's like, come on, guys. This is a team effort. Well, he spoke like... I, I found loopholes in the mechanics of the game to where he spoke like... I want to say like seven or eight languages. Holy cow. And so, but he pretended to only know Elvish because that's what he was. He was an elf sorcerer. Mm-hmm. And so he made the only other elf in the party translate everything he said. And then suddenly during a fight, I yell in halfling, you're doing a great job in orcish. You're doing a great job in draconic. You're doing a great job. Or in dwarvish, you're doing a great job. And yeah, he was... He was so unhappy. 
Yeah, Sandy's <laughs> character may or may not have been a little bit of a prick. <laughs> he kind of was. I mean, people were still having fun at the table, though. It never oh, yeah. got to the point where, yeah. But it was just kind of funny. He just was... It's fun to mess with the other players sometimes. He just had inherent magic and just did whatever he wanted with it, kind of. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he wasn't a horrible person, but, yeah, he kind of could be a prick. Speaking of the magic, when it comes to sorcerers, there are several different spell casting classes in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. What sets the sorcerer apart is the sorcerer is anybody who's born with innate magical abilities. So, ironically, for example, in Harry Potter, those people are sorcerers, not wizards, according to Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> because sorcerers are born with their magic powers, whereas a wizard is someone that accumulates them through years of rigorous study and training. Yeah. So, people often joke that the uh, sorcerers are the daddy's money version of magic users. Yeah. They're just super gifted people that just know how to use their magic just because. Mm-hmm. So. And there are different, uh, Dungeons and Dragons has these things called subclasses, where it's a subdivision of your individual class that helps you determine what type of per- what type of character you're going to be playing. And for sorcerers, that determines where you get your magic from. For example, there's draconic bloodline sorcerers, which means you got your magic from interactions with a dragon at some point. Um, there are clockwork sorcerers who get their magic from the plane of order, things like that. There's... All sorts of different ones, but we decided for the subclass for Terran, we're going to have him be a shadow magic sorcerer. Yeah, because what makes sorcerers unique is that you get this subclass or this more precise type of the class at level one. Most classes, you get this subclass or this specific type at level three, but because we're building a level one sorcerer, and because their sub their subclass is their origins of magic, they just have it right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So so we got a tiefling shadow magic sorcerer so far. So also a couple things to consider with the class that you're picking for your character is your class does determine your hit dice, which is how much health your character is going to gain per level. And sorcerers, as magic users, they tend to be a bit squishier of characters. They have less health. So you have to be a little more careful with them than, say, you would with, like, a barbarian who's meant to run into the front line. So, for example, the sorcerer uses a d6 as their hit die. So they roll a six-sided die and add their constitution modifier to get their level one health. So if you get really unlucky and roll a one, you could have, like, a three-health sorcerer, and they're going to die from getting punched in the face. I read this meme where somebody had like a uh, had a tiefling sorcerer actually, and they uh, no, it wasn't a tiefling sorcerer, but it was a sorcerer that was trying to pat the tiefling's head when they first met, level one first session, and the tiefling character said, "Quit touching me, quit touching me," and the guy didn't, so he's like, "I rolled to bite." So he rolled to attack, <laughs> roll, and he got a, and he rolled, and I think he rolled a nat 20, actually. And so he rolled the damage, and he got max damage, and the sorcerer only had, like, four hit points. And so he killed the sorcerer <laughs> right off the bat. And the comment simply was, I don't like to be touched. Well, the only thing left then to decide is we got our race, we got our class, and in this case, we got a subclass. All we got left is the background. 
So how backgrounds work in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons is basically it's supposed to describe where you come from. Hence, it's a pretty good name, the background. It's supposed to reference like what you did before you came on this adventure, what kind of accomplishments you've had, and a lot of times it describes what kind of skills you have that go with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for instance, there's, just to name a few examples, there's a soldier, a sailor, a merchant, a guild artisan. You could be a noble. Yeah, you can be a noble, you can be an outlander, a hermit. Street um, urchin. You can be an inheritor, an investigator, um, a shipwright. They're, they got a lot of different backgrounds that you can choose from. So it's if you're willing to take a little extra time to really look through all the backgrounds, you'll, you'll most likely find one that really reflects what you as a player are hoping to accomplish. Now, this doesn't mean you have to exactly play like, oh, he's a sailor, I gotta be a typical sailor. No, it just means that you've done a lot of sailing and have experience in that. But you don't have to, again, don't have to be a typical sailor. Like, you don't have to be a typical tiefling. Mm -hmm. So just keep that in mind. Just because you choose all these things doesn't mean they're restrictive. They're just more guidelines on how to roleplay as your character. But how the mechanics of playing your character works. Especially when it comes to scenarios like combat, which we talked about in our last episode. So now that we've got our race, our class, our background. Which we chose Acolyte. So for our background, how we decided to build Terran Shadewalker is as a shadow magic sorcerer. We wanted to kind of give him a tie in his background to that shadow magic origin. So we chose to make him an Acolyte of the Raven Queen, who is in 5th edition lore... She is a goddess of what's called the Shadowfell, which is where shadow magic originates from. And a lot of her tenets and her believers' tenets, I guess, center around just trying to establish order of her realm and keep things the way she likes them. So they're very much a lawful neutral bunch, which we can discuss alignment a little bit too if we want to get into that absolutely because alignment in fifth edition alignment used to be a big deal in previous editions it's gotten way looser lately but in fifth edition it is essentially pure flavor it again it's it is just a bonus little thing to help you as a player better understand how your character is going to be because it it does help to have a few guidelines when when you're role-playing especially for the first time Mm -hmm. so i found alignment to really help me when i first started out Mm-hmm. Uh, it basically it has two axes that it goes on to make a nine grid, nine square grid of the different alignments. There are nine alignments you can pick from. Long story short, so basically there is lawful versus chaotic, which basically is how firmly your character sticks to a set of tenets, beliefs, rules, laws. Um, like more lawful would mean they have more strict rules for themselves, and more chaotic would mean they just are willy nilly do whatever they want. And the other axis is good versus evil. That one's pretty standard. Everyone knows good versus evil, things like that. Good is you're more inclined towards helping the general good of the world. And evil means you're more inclined towards destroying the general good of the world. Yep. That's actually a really good summary. So, for example, you can have a lawful good paladin who is all about maintaining the tenets of his lawful god all about righteousness, order, helping everybody. Or you could have a lawful evil person 
who also say a lawful evil person could be a cultist who follows a very strict set of rules to their evil deity, and they do it in a very organized manner. Mm-hmm. As opposed to someone who's more, say, chaotic good, could be someone that they're generally a good person to try to help people, but they don't really care how they do it. They're, I, I always view chaotic good, at least personally, their moral compass takes precedence over whatever laws of the land there are. A common chaotic good character is the smite anything I don't like paladin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those are fun to play, honestly. And then, of course, there's always every DM's most dreaded alignment of chaotic neutral, which basically is player code for I want to be a dick. Like, yeah, I just want to do whatever I want. Yeah. A law uh a chaotic neutral character means that I'm not there for the good or evil and I'm not there to help anybody. I'm just there to do whatever the heck I want mm-hmm. and not care about the consequences. For me as a DM, the worst one is true neutral. <laughs> which your character played and it was so hard to find motivation for that character because he was just so neutral. He just was like it just Yeah. He had like one or two things and that was it. Like there this- wasn't this character that Parker's talking about was the Warforged Artificer I mentioned earlier. He was a true neutral character who, long story short, was created by a certain person to be a guard at a college. And his creator left and never came back So he ended up dying in a war. So this Warforged just kind of carried out his master's work of running the um, Artificer shop and just creating and enchanting magical objects. And he didn't really have any drives to do anything other than that so it was really hard for parker to get this character who just wanted to sit here and make magic items to go on an adventure yeah he kind of ended up burning down half the town in the process well i kind of forced him to do that to have (laughs) motivation to join the party so (laughs) so that's essentially alignment that that really covers honestly funny enough that covers the very top of your character sheet because you have a character name it asks you what class what race what background what alignment but and then obviously your player name, your actual name. That way people know whose sheet this is. Yeah. But there is a point called experience points, and I don't really want to get too much into that because I feel like most people who play Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition don't follow the experience. That's also something we could go over in the DMing episode. Yeah. Basically, when it comes to characters in Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, will level up over time as they to represent them getting more powerful. And there are two main methods that people use to calculate that. One is experience points. Say, like, you accomplish something, you get awarded a certain amount of XP points, and once you hit a certain threshold, you level up. And a more common one that we both like better is called milestones, which is basically once you hit a certain point in the plot or you accomplish something, as a whole party, you all level up together. Yeah. It's a lot easier for keeping everyone together. And it's honestly just as fun as any other way so why make it more complex when you can have the same amount of fun and there are arguments for both sides some people say that milestones stifle character creativity and don't let them um level up the way they want but other people argue that like we say milestones help keep the party together and simplify things so they both have their pluses and their minuses yeah if you i I would say if you really want to focus on just having a good time as a group However your characters are made, if you really want them to stay together and keep things simple, Milestone is the way to go. Um, even a lot of popular podcasting and, and YouTube channels that play D&D, they usually use the Milestone method. Yeah. So, But experience points, if you really want to get nitty gritty, if your dungeon master is willing to do the math, 
um, and have everybody do stuff to encourage more role playing, then that's totally up to you. But that's something you should definitely talk about in your session zero with your people. But again, that's something we can talk about further in the next episode dedicated just to you, Dungeon Masters. Oh, yeah. So now that we have all that written out, Mm -hmm. now we get to the fun part of making a character, which is determining the stats. Putting numbers on paper. Oh, yeah. This is when we get to use the shiny math rocks. Well, actually, it depends on how you want to create your character. So when it comes to determining the stats of a character, there are a lot of different methods that are all, I feel like, pretty equally popular. For example, there is a method called Stat Array, which is where you get a set of stats. I think it's 15, 13, 12, 10, and 8. Close. I was close. I haven't used it in so long. What so the standard stats that you can just use to make your character pretty safe is 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, and 8. So essentially you have stats that will allow you pot like additional modifiers to add to your roll. One that is a straight roll and one that caused you to minus from the roll. A negative stat. So... Basically how standard array works is you get those six numbers and you just slap each one onto a stat as you like and that's what your stats are. Whatever your character values or would benefit from the most, like say you really want a strong character, like that's like your big thing, you slap the biggest number on that stat. Mm -hmm. And whichever one you could care less about, put the low stat. Although I will say right off the bat, no matter what class or race you do, do not make Constitution your lowest stat. <laughs> and we can get into that more when we're actually going over building mm-hmm. the stats. Um, I just so, want to put it out, out there right now. <laughs> so that's stat array. The next one is point by, which is another really popular one, where all your stats start at a flat, is it 10? I believe so. And you have a certain amount of points that you can use to buy stat increases. Mm-hmm. And basically, you put these points towards your stats to increase them as you like. This means that everyone gets the same number of stats to play with, and you can allocate them however you want. You can dump it all into one stat and have the rest of your stats suck if you want. Or you can even it out. Mm -hmm. The main bonuses that people like about stat array and point buy is they make for a very balanced table. Every character has the exact same number of stats to allocate, so everyone feels pretty equal in power. Yeah. If you want to do things the fun way. (laughs) Our preferred method. uh, Subjectively, different people think different things are fun. But we both really prefer rolling for our stats. Yeah. And there there are a ton of different ways to do that. But the most standard way is you basically roll four six-sided dice. And you take the highest three and have that be your stat number. Yeah. So essentially you're going to roll it six times doing it that way. Is you're going to roll four dice, take the top three, add them together, write it down, do it five more times. And then once you have those numbers, you can then assign them to the stat. And from there, figure out the actual modifiers. Yeah. <laughs> so, shall we, uh, shall we roll some stats for this character? All right, let's see what we get for Terran. Yeah, I'll let you go first. All right, oh gosh. Here we go, math rocks don't fail me. It's not bad. No. So, for example, I got two sixes, a three, and a one. So, using the 4d6 method, we drop the one and do six plus six plus three, which would be a 15. That's actually 
pretty dang good. That's a good roll. So the highest stat you can get through rolling is an 18, which would be three sixes. So considering that that's only three under, they vary all the way from you can roll a three on your character up to an 18. Yeah. So 15 is a pretty solid up there one. All right, you want to do yours next? Yeah. And basically we'll just do this six times to get the numbers for each of our stats, and then we allocate them how we want. That was not as good of a roll. <laughs> so this time we got a four, a three, and two twos, so we drop one of the twos, which gives us a four plus three plus two, which is a nine. Which is a fairly average stat. Basically how 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons does it is a 10 represents the average person. Yeah. So like your, your average run-of-the-mill farmer or whatever would have a 10 in their stats. Yeah. Are we ready for the next one? Oh, yeah. That's not too bad. Wow. You I am on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a six, two fives, and a three. So we <laughs> drop the three. So that's a 16. Maybe you should just roll this entire character. <laughs> hey, he needs he needs some flaws. That's true. And that's the thing, though. Just because you have a even a really low stat, you can still have just as much fun with it. Oh, yeah. So. Dumb stats make for good role-playing. Oh, gosh. Seriously. You oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> we got two ones and two twos. <laughs> All right, Parker. You're trying to sabotage Taryn here. So that next stat is a five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a five in my characters before. <laughs> Dang. What, what's his what's the, what's So, um, <laughs> oh, a little bit of background on the two of us. When it comes to character building, I, I, I'll admit, I tend to be a little bit of a power gamer. I'm not rolling these stats on purpose, but I try to build the most powerful characters I can because I think it's really fun to be able to smack stuff with big numbers. Mm-hmm. Parker, he tends to lean more towards role-playing. Like, you just make a character however you want and goof off with them and have fun. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very much showing in our dice rolls. All right. Let's see if I can save poor Terran from that five. Seriously, man. <laughs> okay, not bad. So we got a five, two fours, and a two. So drop the two. And that gives us a 13. Okay. Yeah. For our fifth stat. All right. I like how you always roll above 10. I always roll below. Let's All right. Come on. Give us a good one for our last stat. You know what? I'm going to do this. You going to sub out one of the D6s? Yeah. See if, see if this one likes me a little bit more. Watch when that one's a one. Okay. No? Okay. Not bad. Yeah. There you go. For his last roll, he got a 15. Three fives and a three. Okay. For Roland, this is not This is definitely not the worst. Oh, yeah. So this will be an interesting character because he'll be generally pretty powerful except for... A, a dump stat. <laughs> so, if you guys remember in our last episode when we talked about the different stats your character can have in 5th edition, there is, just very quick recap, strength, which is how strong you are, dexterity, which is how fast and agile you are, constitution, which is how tough you are, intelligence is smarts, wisdom is kind of like your knowledge and street smarts, and then charisma is your people skills. So, as a sorcerer, your absolute most important skill is going to be intelligence because you're an intelligence-based spellcaster. No, they're charisma-based. Intel. Oh man, I. <laughs> like you're, I said, we've never played a sorcerer before. You're thinking of an artificer right now. I'm thinking artificers and wizards. Yeah. I forget that for some reason sorcerers are charisma-based, which never made sense to me. 
Because, like, for example... But they're just gifted. They kind of just... Yeah. And a lot of charisma skill is... I would say a lot of charisma skill had definitely has a role in just how naturally good you are. Well, for example, like with other charisma-based spellcasters, the warlock, they get their abilities from their patrons, so they need to be charismatic to convince their patron to give them more powers. A paladin gets their powers from their deity, so they need to be charismatic to get what they need from their deity. A sorcerer, you just kind of have the magic, so you're not needing to convince anybody, so that always confused me. It is what it is, I guess. That's, <laughs> that's what it says in the okay. book, man. So, um, charisma. My bad. Listen to Parker. So, for our charisma, I, I vote on putting the 16 there. Okay. And one thing to note, too, when you're building a character, definitely, when you're, especially your first, even your second character, just pick stuff that just looks fun to do. Oh, pick yeah. a fun background. Pick a fun class. Pick, or try something new. But definitely, once you've picked them, read a little bit about them. Oh, yeah. It's definitely good to do some research in before you make your character so that you can make one that's actually functional like i said i had a campaign before where we had a wild magic sorcerer who tried to do everything um charismatically which kind of worked because they used had a decent charisma stat but they also fought like a barbarian like they just run in and smack stuff with a club and it was very inefficient they had a lot of fun but they didn't really accomplish much when it came to combat Mm -hmm. so yeah so we got our 16 in charisma okay we um have two 15s where do we want to put those I would say a safe option is constitution. this constitution. Yeah, just don't just, want to get splatted. Mm-hmm. Okay, because they're already squishy enough as it is. So let's just let's just help them out just just a little bit here. Yeah, pat them a little bit. Yeah. All right. What about that other one? Because we've got our two most important stats covered. Yeah. I don't know. Do we want to make him intelligent? Do we want to make him wise? I like doing intelligence just because it's a fun stat. Or actually, should we do wisdom because a tiefling is going to need to know how to survive around other people and know how to act in different social settings? As I think mu- wisdom makes sense. I, As much as I love the intelligence stat and how fun it is to be able to roll and just like know things like in-game, the wisdom definitely has a lot going for it. Mm-hmm. Because, for instance, one of the things under wisdom is perception, which uh, that's I feel like, like the most used skill. <laughs> at least in our games, that's been the most used skill. So, but we'll explain that in a bit further. But let's let's keep assigning. Do we want the? Um, I I'm wondering if we should put the 13 in the decks. I think so. Again, pad the health a little bit because dexterity is a lot of the times accounted for in your armor class mm. for the vast majority of characters. So that helps you to not get hit quite as often. Like, you're more agile when you're dexterous. You can dodge better. Yep. Which leaves us... Do we want to have the five in strength or intelligence? (laughs) Probably strength. I don't see the sorcerer getting all brawly with people. I think it could be fun to have a five in intelligence because... um, Imagine just having a sorcerer who's so skilled innately with magic. But but just can't read it's the stupidest person ever he can't read (laughs) it's like the the kid in the back of the class that aces every test but it turns out it's just because his parents paid off the teacher and he actually doesn't know anything yeah all right do we want to do strength or intelligence for the five i mean if it were me i would put the i would put the five in strength because we gotta that's how that's how i put some sort of background for having a five in a stack because that's pretty bad yeah well i mean I feel like as a sorcerer, strength is just... But that, for me, as a player, 
I don't always go for the strongest character per se. Yeah. Strength for me personally has always been a potential go-to dump stat. Yeah. A low stat. But that's just me personally. I've only had it high one time as a paladin because my other character, like I've played rangers. Yeah. Paladin, you need like 15 for plate mail. Like, yeah. There, there's a bunch of different stuff. All right. I like dumping it in strength. Let's do the five for strength. Okay. You sure? Yeah. All right. So, what kind of background... I mean, they're still not very smart, just saying. (laughs) Yeah, we're slightly below average, which in our culture now, I feel like that's about average. (laughs) Yeah, at least you can read. Yeah. (laughs) So, do we want to come up with some sort of fun background quirk for why he has a five in strength, or do we want to just have him be weak? He was so devoted to to the shadowy arts that he just skipped leg day. (laughs) He just skips leg day. (laughs) I mean, that that would kind of explain it. <laughs> Just so devoted to his studying that the gym... Oh, heck no. I don't care about that. I mean, maybe he grew up in the shadow fell and was just malnourished and not well taken care for. That's so he true. just developed a weak body. Yours makes a lot more sense lore-wise. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Keep in mind, we, we both like writing, so it's kind of fun to throw ideas off each other. Or maybe... Yeah, maybe the maybe he grew up that way, and then the couple times he could have, he's just like, I'll never make it. So he just didn't even try. He just he put all his energies into learning darker powers so that those darker powers could sustain him. Yeah. He uses the shadow magic to yeah, get around. A, yeah, I like that. All right. So we figured out that. So what we need to discuss next probably is what these numbers exactly mean. Because these numbers, funny enough aren't the final numbers these numbers just tell us the numbers we actually need (laughs) so quick rundown of how the stats work in dungeons and dragons fifth edition a 10 like i said is the baseline your 10 is your average person that's how they're gonna do with that Mm -hmm. so when you how it works is your skills will modify your roles that have to do with that so say for example if taryn's gonna have to make a strength check how it works is you take the 10 And for every two numbers you are below 10, you get a minus one. And for every two numbers you are above 10, you get a plus one. So since he's a five, that's a eight, six. And secondly, since it's from the between four to five range, it'd be a minus three. Yep. So any time he makes a strength roll, he automatically gets minus three for that check because he's not very strong. Mm -hmm. So if he rolled a, if he rolled a 13, it would turn into a 10. Mm -hmm. because he's weak yeah and for example his charisma score in total after racial bonuses is an 18 which means that so since it's 10 12 uh, 14 16 18 he gets a plus four for anything involving charisma yeah so we should actually look at the tiefling look at the racial stats here to see what what we'll get to help us out here Yeah, so each race, as 5th edition is right now, gives a set of bonuses. For example, with the Tiefling, uh, most races have an ability score increase. Uh, Tieflings get a plus 1 to intelligence and a plus 2 to charisma by default, which is actually really useful for a sorcerer. A lot of times, races will also have flavorful things such as alignments that tend to go with that race, um, your size, your age how stuff like that works 
Um, for example, tieflings tend to lean more towards the evil alignments, but you can build a character that's also good. Like, for example, Terran is a lawful neutral character because he is just there to, he lives to serve the Raven Queen. So he doesn't really care for the concepts of good and evil. He just wants to help her realm grow. Uh, tieflings tend to be about the same size as your average human. Other fun bonuses, tieflings get dark vision. You want to explain what that is? So dark vision is definitely a coveted thing that players love. And a lot of races have them. And that's actually, for at least the players I've played with, that's been a pretty decent deciding factor on what race they want to do. Freaking Dragonborn not getting dark vision. Still makes me mad. Brandon has strong feelings on this subject. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> dragons of all creatures, they have such insane dark vision. But why would a Dragonborn not have any at all? Anyways, that's another topic for another time. Do we need to dedicate an episode to Dragonborn and how you feel about <laughs> it? <laughs> it's okay, though, because they're updating that. Yeah. So, Dark Vision, essentially, you have superior vision in dark and dim conditions. You can see in dim light within 60 feet of you as if it were bright light, and in darkness as if it were dim light. So, essentially, you can see further and see a little bit better than normal people can. So, for instance, there's actually, I think there's more races, honestly, that have dark vision than not. <laughs> Which is kind of silly, like... It's I not feel like special anymore. It's become a gimmick at this point. Yeah. Most people have it. It's more of your special if you don't have dark vision. It's okay, though, because in our campaign we're playing right now, my wife is playing a Kalistar who has, like, some of the best dark vision in the game, and they can let their allies borrow their dark vision. So she gives it to my Dragonborn Paladin all the time. Yeah. Um, we'll go ahead and mention this about the Tiefling, too. They have Hellish Resistance, which essentially means you have resistance to fire damage. Which basically means if you're going to take fire damage, you would cut that damage in half. Yep. Because you're resistant against it. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the benefit to being a tiefling and having some ancestor make, you know, dark deals with devils. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> it, it, it has its bonuses. Um, the next cool trait that tieflings have is called Infernal Legacy, which means off the bat they get a special cantrip called Thaumaturgy, which basically is kind of a parlor trick magic thing you can do it's you can manifest sounds lights like little tremors stuff like that a lot of times it's used to embellish performances help you persuade someone just it's used to throw people off their game a lot but there's a lot of fun uses for it it's a flavor spell oh yeah so and then you get other spells too and we'll talk about spells here at, at the end of this episode though so we'll come back to that um, as a tiefling, you also naturally are able to speak, read, and write common, which is the trading language of pretty much any D&D setting. Yeah, to make it easier, instead of having, um, like, they have languages per nation, but there is a language called common that is generally spoken throughout everywhere. Yeah. Like, not necessarily, like, there are some places it doesn't reach, but as a general rule of thumb, pretty much everyone's going to know common. It, it's English. Yeah, for, for the Western world, it's yeah, English. Yeah, it's English, yeah. And then you also naturally are able to speak, read, and write Infernal, which is the language of not only tieflings... But devils. But devils. So this is what they speak in hell. In <laughs> D&D. <laughs> not, not super useful most of the time, unless you end up going there, in which case, good luck. Yeah, but it's not to be confused with the language spoken by demons, which are different. They speak abyssal. Yeah, there's a lot of nuances between stuff like that in Dungeons & Dragons. Well, in Dungeons & Dragons, devils are more lawful, 
and demons are more chaotic. That's how they kind of differentiate between the two. Basically, the difference is you make a deal with a devil, but a demon just wants to watch the world burn. Oh, yeah. All right. Now that we have our character created... Oh, we should also mention you get 30 feet of movement. Oh, yeah. The... As a tiefling, the base for most classes and races is 30 feet of movement. Uh, it's pretty standard. Yep. It's normal walking speed. Yep. So you can fill that out. So right now we got the stats. We got the modifiers for those stats. We've updated those stats based off tiefling racial traits. And we got our speed. Mm-hmm. So what's next? So, real quick, I do want to do a little bit of a rundown on how stats work. Like, say, for when you're rolling for something. Mm. We mentioned it a little bit earlier, but there are a lot of what are called skills and skill checks. And those are things like subsidiaries of the main skills you have. Like, for example, intelligence has religion, nature, history, things like that. And how rolling for these individual stats work is you have your flat bonuses from the stat itself. Say Terran needed to make a... What's a good one? Religion. Yeah, say Terran needed to make a religion check. Terran, as a default, has a plus zero to intelligence because his intelligence is a 10, I believe? Yep. Yeah. So he wouldn't get any bonus. But say Terran took a proficiency in religion... Which would make sense because he's an acolyte of the Raven Queen, so he would know something about religions. Because it makes sense to know the other gods as well. Then you could add your proficiency bonus to that roll too, which at level 1 is a plus 2. So even though he has a plus 0 for intelligence rolls, he would still get a plus 2 for religion if he had proficiency in that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's pretty much, I think, every character starts off with plus 2 proficiency. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what race, class. It's only determined by your level. Yeah, it's only determined by your level. So as you level up, you get bigger proficiency because you gain more experience. But speaking of those um, those points you made, let's look at the uh, let's look at the class and background to figure those things out. Okay. And I believe background is going to be the primary one to help determine proficiencies here. And we made him an acolyte. You have spent your life in the service of a temple to a specific god or pantheon of gods. You act as an intermediary between the realm of the holy and the mortal world, performing sacred rites and offering sacrifices in order to conduct worshippers into the presence of the divine. You are not necessarily a cleric, which is a class you can take. Performing sacred rites is not the same thing as channeling divine power. Because clerics and, like we said, paladins are very religious, but just because you're an acolyte or religious doesn't mean you're automatically that kind of class. Yeah. You just have great respect for whoever you believe in. In the background, you gain three things. You gain skill proficiencies, you gain languages, and you gain equipment. And it can differ between um, the different things. Some backgrounds include tool proficiencies, for instance. It just really depends. So for the acolyte, according to 5th edition... Skill proficiencies are in insight and religion. Yeah, so it would make sense. Which I would hope that he would get religion here. <laughs> and you actually get two proficiencies from your class as well. This is true. So each class also has proficiencies in certain equipment. So, for example, sorcerers don't get proficiency in any armor. They just wear clothing. 
They can have simple weapons such as like daggers, staffs, light crossbows, things that like your average run-of-the-mill person could just pick up and use. They also get proficiency in saving throws for charisma and constitution. And you can pick two proficiencies from the skills to use. So what are you thinking would be some fun ones to use? Well, what are the options that we have for sorcery? So out of the sorcerer ones, ironically, insight and religion are included in the list. So that whittles us down to arcana, deception, intimidation, and persuasion. Hmm. I think arcana could be a fun one because as a magic user, it would be helpful to be able to know what magical objects are. An arcana check is basically being able to discern the properties of an item. Hmm. Or to have some basic knowledge of magic being used. Yeah. So. so I'll let you pick the second one. So deception, intimidation, and persuasion. Um, I would say deception. Okay. For sure. A deceptive tiefling. Yeah, I would say deception. And then I probably would just I would just build on his strengths and go persuasion because both those are under charisma. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking unless you think otherwise there. So we could do either deception or persuasion. Wait, wasn't it intimidation and persuasion that we had left to choose from? Deception, intimidation, and persuasion. Okay. Yeah, I was saying that we should do deception. Yeah. Okay. So. We'll stick with deception. Okay. All right. There you go. So because our character here is proficient in arcana and deception and insight and religion, on the character paper sheet, there's little dots next to them. And you can fill those dots in to let you know that you're proficient in. And what that means is you take your proficiency bonus plus two and you add it to the stat modifier that that skill lies under. So for instance, Arcana is an intelligence-based skill. So we would add our intelligence modifier, which is zero. So essentially we get plus two to Arcana and we can write that in. Then we have Insight, which is a wisdom-based one. Our wisdom is a plus three. Proficiency is plus two. Three, four, five is plus five. Religion is also intelligence-based, and we already know that. It's going to be plus two. And then deception is going to be charisma-based. So that one would be a plus six? That's a plus six. Nice. We're really good liars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, lying's... It's useful. It's it's useful, and it's not necessarily bad 10% of the time. Yeah. So... <laughs> So, from a player's perspective, now that we've got Terran Shade Walker built, fleshed out, we've got his background, his story, we have his stats ready, let's figure out how we would actually use him as a character. One important thing is sorcerers by nature are spellcasters. If you're not casting spells, then you're not really going to have much use because they're, they're not really good with normal weapons. Granted, you can still use like a light crossbow, which is decent, but... When you pick out spells, that's where the real spice of being a spellcaster comes from. Mm-hmm. Let's work on some spells, man. Okay. So there's a lot of really fun options for spellcasters in Dungeons & Dragons. So how spells work is any class that can cast spells has what are called spell slots. Which means that that it's basically the extent of how much magical power you can muster at one time without needing to rest. Because using magic is an exhausting ability. So, for example, at level 1, we only have two first level spell slots. Spells have levels as well, 
that you gain as you uh, level up. So the higher leveled your character are, the stronger spells you'll have access to. So first level tends to be the weaker spells. And then there are things called cantrips that you can cast as many times as you want, and they don't take spell slots, but they tend to be a lot weaker. One of the most common cantrips, I would say, especially for sorcerers, is good old Firebolt. Oh yeah, Firebolt. It's basically a magical crossbow bolt. It does about the same damage. Yeah. So let's see here. So in the player's handbook under Sorcerer, you'll find this really nifty chart. I love this chart. Oh yeah. I need it every time I play a spellcaster character. (laughs) (laughs) Or a character, I should say, that primarily goes to spells. Yeah. So there's some classes where, like, for instance, the ranger, they can do martial weapons. Like, they can use a longsword, a longbow, um, a greatsword. They can use a halberd if they want. Um, But they can also use magic, too. Yeah. Um, Sorcerer, magic. (laughs) So... Um, so at first level, um, it's going to tell you it's going to tell you your proficiency bonus. It's going to tell you your features. So you gain spell casting and you gain your sorcerer's origin, which is the sorcerer equivalent of a subclass. And then it's going to tell you how many cantrips you know and how many spells you know. You know four cantrips that we can choose, and then beyond that, as Brandon was talking about, you then get into the spell slots. And in this case, you know two first-level spell slots. So you want to discuss spell slots? Sure. So basically, it's, like I said before, it's kind of how much fuel you have for spells. You get to cast um, spells of that level that many times per day. Say, for example, when you rest, you'd get your energy back, you would get rejuvenated, and then you can cast more spells the next day. Mm-hmm. But at level one, you get two spell slots, so that means you can cast two spells for that whole day, because you're still a pretty low-leveled sorcerer, and then you're done. Yeah. You're down to your cantrips, which you could still do some good work with cantrips. But the spells have some really fun options. Like, one of my favorites to take as a low-leveled spellcaster is shield. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use it as a reaction, which is really cool, which means you can use it when someone's attacking you. And it basically throws up a magic shield and raises your armor class by five for that round. Yeah. So you add plus five to you, to your armor class there, which we still actually need to fill in, but we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> the absolute iconic spell that's first level that you have to take, Magic Missile. Magic Missile is a great spell, honestly, because it always hits the target. Yeah, fun fact about Magic Missile... Normally when you make any attack against someone in this game, you roll your attack versus their armor and see if you hit them. Or they'd have to make a check to say dexterity check to dodge it. Or like a wisdom saving throw to avoid being charmed, something like that. Magic Missile, it will always hit no matter what. Unless they have something that specifically prevents it. Like for example, ironically, the shield spell will block Magic Missiles. But for the most part, it's a, it's a low, not a lot of damage. But most of the time a guaranteed hit, which when you're fighting a big baddie, consistency goes a long way. Mm -hmm. So now that we've got some basic spells out of the way, let's talk about a few features of the actual subclass of the character that comes into play with the actual gameplay of the character. Because it's not just flavor of where you get your magic from. Each subclass has their own cool little features. So, for example, since we're a shadow magic sorcerer, 
that 60 foot dark vision gets extended out to 120 feet and you can cast the darkness spell using a spell slot which is actually really useful darkness basically puts a magical darkness over an area so nobody can see in it even if you have dark vision so it's very useful for causing disorientation confusion among your enemies but you have to be careful because you can't see in it either unless you have a special ability that lets you something else really cool that shadow magic sorcerers get is an ability called strength of the grave which means that whenever they take damage that reduce them to zero hp so basically when you die you can make a charisma check and if you succeed you just stay at one health and you can do that once per day which is really cool you basically get an extra free life honestly though one of the things i love the most is these shadow sorcerer quirks Oh, yeah. That the book <laughs> provides. These are mostly just flavor. These are completely flavor. And I think Taryn here should acknowledge the fact that he blinked once. So those traits are kind of fun. Uh, you can stare him dead in the eyes as you um, cast darkness on him. <laughs> <laughs> now, as for what kind of spells you take with your spellcasters, I would always talk with your DM as a first-time player so that way you can figure out which spells will work with your class what it make sure you're taking the proper level of spells because there's a whole bunch of spells out there and it can get confusing knowing who can use what absolutely because as we kind of brought up certain spells and not just for the sorcerer but certain spells come with your subclass mm -hmm. you just you know those spells because of the nature of your character and the kind of lifestyle they have chosen overall but a lot of spells are chosen. So, for instance, there's a lot of cantrips out there. You can do four of them. We recommend Firebolt because that does 1d10 1D damage when you hit. But ultimately choose what fits your character and just talk to your dungeon master about it. Oh, but yeah. But obviously make sure that you're at this level, at first level, that you're choosing cantrips and only first level spells. Yeah, no, no wish at level one. Yeah. <laughs> No, not not at all. So now that we've got the spells out of the way, let's talk a little bit about how a martial character would play out. Because we've covered a little, quite a bit about spellcasters, but let's say when you're actually hitting somebody. So real quick, covering using the spells. How they typically work is, say you cast an offensive spell on somebody. You're going to roll the d20, and you're going to add your modifier, which for the sorcerer would be charisma, not intelligence. Yes. As well as your proficiency bonus. So, for example, Terran would have a plus six for his spells to hit somebody. So, say he's fighting an enemy with an armor class of 13. If he wanted to hit them, he would have to get at least a... 13. Eight, eight on the dice plus his six. Oh, okay. So, if he wanted to hit them, he'd have to get over the armor class, get to a 14... And then he'd be able to damage them with that Firebolt he's shooting at them. Yeah, so if he's casting Firebolt and he rolls a d20, so let's say he rolls he rolls a 10. The 10 alone won't hit the armor class or get through. But once you add that Charisma modifier and that Proficiency modifier on top, it's going it's gonna to not only meet the 13 armor class, but it's also going to beat it. Because yeah. you just have to, if you can get a third, for this enemy, if you can get 13 or higher, it hits. So, and each enemy is different, though. Yeah, everyone has different armor classes. Armor class is dependent on 
basically the armor that you're wearing and it determines how hard you are to hit and there are other classes that factor in things like dexterity monks add their wisdom to it there's a whole bunch of different things that factor into your armor class but in the end it's just how hard it is to hit your character and in combat a lot of it is just comparing attack rolls to armor classes there are some special cases where it's a save like say for example you cast bonfire on someone it's my, my wife plays a fire fairy whose favorite thing is to throw bonfires at people and that one is not an attack roll they have to make a dexterity check to get out of the way of the bonfire before they get burned. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being against their armor class, they have to roll a dexterity and get over a certain amount to get out of the way. Yeah. And it's honestly the same with normal weapons. Say you're hitting someone with like a sword or a bow. You just take your modifier for what you're using for that. For example, a bow uses dexterity. And then you add your proficiency bonus if you're proficient in that weapon. And then that's your bonus to see if you can hit them. So let's say that Terran here has leather armor. Well, actually, he's not proficient in any armors. So he oh. would have the base armor class, the lowest of his... Basically, his armor is the normal 10 plus his dex modifier, and that's it. So his armor class is 11, which means he's going to get slapped silly if someone goes after him. Yeah, the chances of him getting hit is really high. So I'm used to playing with characters that have some kind of armor proficiency i almost always play paladin so i'm used to seeing like an 18 there yeah because <laughs> you're, well you're wearing like plate mail like yeah. that that's hard to get through mm -hmm. so. meanwhile this is a guy just wearing like a mage's robe he's not very much protection no no not not at all it just again it depends on the armor the player's handbook explains all that but for the sorcerer so as brandon was talking about so for instance if i cast a spell that causes somebody, instead of me rolling to attack, they have to roll a saving throw. And if they fail that saving throw, then the full effect of the spell happens on them. So for a sorcerer, what's called the spell save DC is eight plus your proficiency bonus plus your charisma modifier. So for example, eight plus proficiency bonus would be two, so I get it up to 10 and the charisma modifier is a plus four. So if they, needed, if they needed to dodge something that Terran was casting at them, they'd need to get at least a 14 to get out of the way. Yeah, which that's pretty good for level 1. Yeah, but I feel like that covers use of the sorcerer pretty well. We've gone over their spells, attacking, how mm. to build the sorcerer. I feel like Terran's about ready for a playtest once we get to that episode. No, absolutely. We'll, we'll have to see him in action, and it'll be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really excited for him. So. so hopefully we were able to cover a pretty comprehensive guide of how to create a character for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. If you guys have any questions, any comments about things we may have missed, um, always feel free to reach out to us on Nat1Nerds on Nat One Nerds Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. We've got Nat1NerdsPodcast at gmail.com if you want to email us. We're always happy to hear feedback. We love hearing from you guys. It was great to have some interaction on our polls, and we try to post stuff every now and then about how things are going in our campaigns, post memes. It's, it's, it's fun to have a community, so check us out. Or post, you know, elaborate on the last episode. So mm -hmm. if you guys send in questions about, hey, can you talk about that spellcasting ability further, we can do a whole post dedicated to that. Well, right. I think that's about it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening, and we hope you guys have a good day, and we'll see you next time. All right, happy rolling, guys.